Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. is truly an outstanding motion picture, an exciting romantic comedy keyed to an ever-mounting tempo of suspense. To Be or Not to Be brings you the screen's beloved star, Carol Lombard, in the kind of role that won her the applause of millions. And that mirth-maker of the movies, that Casanova of the radio, your favorite comedian, Jack Benny, in something entirely new, something surprisingly different, and it's hilarious all the way. To Be or Not To Be is a swift-moving comedy melodrama enriched by the magic that sparkles in every Ernst Lubitsch production. It's the picture everyone will want to see. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie To Be or Not To Be from 1942. The studio was United Artists. The release date was February 19th, 1942, with a running time of 99 minutes, and it was in black and white. Leonard Maltin from his classic movie guide gives it three and a half out of four stars, and his quick little synopsis is, Jack Benny has the role of a lifetime as that great, great actor Joseph Tura whose Polish theater troupe is out of, put out of business by invading Nazis until they become involved in espionage and find their thespian skills being put to the ultimate test. Superb black comedy scripted by Edwin Justice Mayer. The opening gag with Tom Dugan is a gem. Carol Lombard's final film released after her death. Remade in 1983 with Mel Brooks and Anne Bancroft. Rotten Tomatoes gives it 98% fresh from 46 reviews. Their critics' consensus is a complex and timely satire with as much darkness as slapstick. Ernst Lubitsch, to be or not to be, delicately balances humor and ethics. So as a kid growing up, I was different in many ways than other kids my age when it came to enjoyment of certain entertainment. For example, I was listening to blues music from the 1950s and 60s when I was 10 years old, and this is in the 80s. (laughs) So while other kids were jamming on Def Leppard and Madonna... I was listening to the blues and old rock and roll, and my other love as a kid, and still today, were old-time radio programs from the 1930s and 40s, and one of my favorite performers, and still is, is Jack Benny and his cast of wacky characters. But strangely enough, it wasn't until I was in my 20s that I finally saw it to be or not to be, and this was because I bought a DVD box set, which included tons of classic comedies from the 30s and 40s, and I immediately loved the film, and Benny was just brilliant in the co-lead with Carol Lombard. All right, let's get into the main cast. You have Carol Lombard playing Marie, and as Malta mentioned, this would tragically be the final film released for Carol Lombard because she was killed in a plane crash while returning home from a tour selling war bonds. She was considered one of the top comedic actresses of her era, along with her stunning beauty. And her best-known film roles were 20th Century, Hands Across the Table, My Man Godfrey, Nothing Sacred, 
and a rare straight-ahead comedy by Alfred Hitchcock called Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Lombard was married twice, both to two of the most famous actors of their era, William Powell and Clark Gable. The marriage to Powell only lasted two years in the early 1930s, but they remained good friends after their divorce. The marriage to Clark Gable was obvious tabloid father because they were kind of like the Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt for their era. And even though Gable married twice more after the death of Carol Lombard, people close to him said he was never the same after her death. Jack Benny plays Joseph, and as I mentioned earlier, Benny was best known for being one of the most popular comedians of his day, and he hosted his own radio and TV program for over 30 years. And film-wise, Benny did appear in a handful of films, but he was best known for doing movie parodies on his radio program. For example, there was always an ongoing joke on his radio show about his box office failure from 1945 for the movie called The Horn Blows at Midnight. Also, almost as a precursor to movies made from uh, Saturday Night Live bits, the movie Buck Benny Rides Again was essentially made based off his character from his radio show. Some of the supporting cast that also appeared in the film include a very young Robert Stack, this was only his sixth movie at the time, Lionel Atwill, Felix Bressert, who you would know from Shop Around the Corner, and Tom Dugan. The director was Ernst Lubisch, who began directing and acting in silent films, in, the in 1913 in Germany. He would then move to Hollywood in 1922 and establish himself directing U.S. films. His best-known films to modern viewers would be his later films like Ninochka with Greta Garbo, The Shop Around the Corner with James Stewart, Heaven Can Wait, and Clooney Brown, and of course, To Be or Not To Be. Alright, let's get into the movie. The film starts with something that is not done any longer with modern films. We get the intro credits, and instead of simply just showing the names of the actors in list form, we actually see short clips from the film we're about to watch, including each cast member. And this was somewhat commonplace for movies in the 1930s and 40s, but it stopped being the norm around the 1960s. I kind of like these intros because in a way, it gives you a face to the name if you didn't know them, especially back in an era way before you could look up anything on the internet. The film begins in August of 1939 in Warsaw, Poland, and the viewer believes they are seeing a peacetime Poland, but we quickly find out in that scene that plays out, it's actually a local theater group rehearsing a new play called Gestapo, which is a satire of the Nazi invasion of Poland. Heil Hitler. Heil Hitler. Heil Hitler. Colonel, we have Wilhelm Kutze here, if you'd like to look into his record. I hope he'll talk. He better. Send him in. Yes, sir. Wilhelm Kunze! Wilhelm Kunze! Wilhelm Kunze! Heil Hitler! Heil Hitler! <laughs> and now, Wilhelm, I understand you want a little tank to play with, huh? Yes, my father promised me one if I got a good report card. But our Fuhrer heard about your report card and decided to give you just what you want. Heil Hitler! Heil Hitler! Heil Hitler! <laughs> You, uh, you are going to tell your father who gave it to you, aren't you, Wilhelm? Sure, our Fuhrer. And then uh, maybe he will like the Fuhrer a little better, won't he? Sure. He, uh, he doesn't like him now, does he, Wilhelm? No, he doesn't. And uh, sometimes he even says funny things about him, doesn't he? Well, he said they named a brandy after Napoleon, and they made a herring out of Bismarck, and Hitler's going to end up as... A piece of cheese. Yes. Yes. Yeah. How did you know? Well, it's a, it's a natural thought. Oh, a natural thought? Well, I, I hope you don't misunderstand. I, I always, well, that is, you see, we, 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 you see, Colonel, I, I hope you don't doubt my, 
Heil Hitler! Heil Hitler! Heil Hitler! Heil Hitler! Heil Hitler! Heil Hitler! Der Führer! Heil Hitler! Heil myself. That's not in the script. But, Mr. Dobosh, please. That's not in the script, Mr. Brunsky. But it'll get a laugh. But I don't want to laugh here. How many times have I told you not to add any line? I want... You want my opinion, Mr. Dobosh? No, Mr. Greenberg, I do not want your opinion. All right, then let me give you my reaction. A laugh is nothing to be sneezed at. Mr. Greenberg, I hired you as an actor and not as a writer, understand? No. What does the script say? I make an entrance. And what do you say? Nothing. Then say nothing. The theater group includes Maria, Carol Lombard, her husband Joseph, Jack Benny, Greenberg, Felix Bressert, Ray Witch, Lionel Atwell, Bronsky, Tom Dugan. Bronsky can do a spot-on impression of Adolf Hitler, so much so he fools people on the street with his costume and mannerisms. That is, until a little girl asks for Mr. Bronsky's autograph and blows his cover. The next scheduled performance for the group is going to be Hamlet. Maria and Joseph have a funny relationship as they seem to always be competing with one another when it comes to their acting. Lombard and Benny mesh really well together, and I think they could have been a great comedy team in film if not for Lombard's tragic death, as I mentioned earlier. Hello? This is Mr. Tura. Uh, will you please order me a salami and cheese sandwich and a glass of beer? Right away, please. Thank you. Audience oh, a little cool tonight. Not to me. Oh, I know. I'm giving a rotten performance. I always do when we quarrel. Say something nice. Oh, you faker. I watched your scene with Polonius from the wings and you were never better. I'd give you a kiss right now, but I'm afraid I might ruin my makeup. Oh, darling, you were right this morning. I felt so rotten after the rehearsal. I went to Dobosh and told him when he advertises a new play to put your name first. Did you, darling? Oh, that's sweet of you, but I really don't care. That's what Dobosh said, so we left it as it was. Oh. But, darling, you know how I feel about you. Why, I'd even... Oh, flowers, eh? Aren't they beautiful? Don't be casual. Who sent them? I don't know. There wasn't any card. No card again? That's three nights in succession. Who is he? I'm sure this has nothing to do with me personally. This man is probably a lover of the theater, an art fanatic, someone sitting up in the gallery night after night. Oh, just one of those poor boys who hasn't the price of a ticket, but inherited a lot of flowers and is trying to get rid of them. Three nights in a row. Even Shakespeare couldn't stand seeing Hamlet three nights in succession. You forget you're playing Hamlet. Oh, that's right. Mr. Tudor on stage! Maria, darling, I'm going into my big scene. Joseph, sweetheart, I swear I don't know who it is. Thanks, darling. It's true, Anna, I don't know who it is, but I'm positive who it might be. You mean that young aviator? Oh, yes, he's very young, Annie. He's sitting in the second row again. He gets better looking every night. Don't misunderstand me, Annie. I love my husband dearly, and why not? He's wonderful, only he gets so unreasonable, so upset about little things. Like the little thing in the second row. The man who has his eyes for Maria is a Polish lieutenant named Stanislaw Sobinski, played by the very young Robert Stack. Joseph ends up being distracted by Stanislaw while in the middle of his famous to-be-or-not-to-be soliloquy because Stanislav decides to get out of his seat and heads backstage, which throws off Joseph. So Stanislav goes backstage, and he meets Maria and invites her to meet him the next day for a plane ride. Joseph has no idea about this rendezvous, but is more distraught with someone walking out of the theater during his soliloquy. To make matters worse, the play of Gestapo is canceled due to the fear of actually angering the real Adolf Hitler. This means another run of Hamlet for the group. 
Like the previous night, Stanislav walks out of the theater again during the soliloquy, which infuriates Joseph. To be or not to be. That is... That is the question. Whether it is nobler in mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune... I'd like to speak to Mrs. Tura alone. This time, while he's backstage, Stanislav tells Maria that he loves her and wants her to leave Joseph and retire from acting. He plans on telling Joseph of his love for Maria, but suddenly discovers that a declaration of war has occurred with Germany invading Poland. Stanislav leaves quickly to be with his troop. The theater group huddles in the basement to the sound of the bombing of Warsaw by the Germans. After the destruction, Poland is officially under Nazi rule with curfews enforced from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. Anyone who disobeys with this will be put into a concentration camp or immediately killed. However, the Polish underground resistance attempts to fight back to sabotage the Nazi rule. What's interesting about this film is even though it's definitely a comedy, there are absolute elements of serious tones. It's a delicate balance that I think this film pulls off masterfully. And keep in mind, the film was released right in the middle of World War II. Part of the Polish resistance is led by a professor named Selitsky, played by Stanley Ridges. Stanislav is part of the Polish military fighting with the British Air Force. Stanislav becomes suspicious of Selitsky after offering to take messages back to Warsaw for the troops' loved ones. There's a lot of S's in these names. <laughs> so Stanislav is suspicious because Selitsky does not know of Maria Tura, who is one of the most famous actresses in Warsaw. Stanislav suspects that Selitsky may be working for the Germans as a spy to break up the resistance. So Stanislav reports his suspicions to the head of the Allies, and they determine that Selitsky needs to be stopped by informing the underground of Selitsky being a spy. So Stanislav is sent on this mission to Warsaw, which involves parachuting into occupied Poland. He does evade the Nazis and warns Maria of Selitsky. She then passes a note to the underground to make sure Selitsky does not reach Nazi headquarters and that they need to watch the train stations. Unfortunately, Selitsky did make it to headquarters before the resistance could capture him, and he has two soldiers assigned to bring Maria to him. Stanislav is actually hiding in Maria's apartment unbeknownst to the Nazis, and Selitsky's intention is to get Maria to be a spy for the Nazis as her acting abilities would come in handy. Mrs. Turek, you're an actress, aren't you? Yes. And naturally, in the theater, it's important that you choose the right part. Very. But in real life, it's even more important that you choose the right side. The right side? What is the right side? The winning side. I don't quite understand. Well, you see, here in Warsaw, there are a lot of people that we know very well and a lot of people that we don't know quite so well and would like to know a great deal better. And that's where you could help us, Mrs. Tudor. <laughs> oh, you want me to be a spy? Oh, now, come, come, come. That's rather a crude word. You know, I once played a spy. It was a great success. I had wonderful notices. It was really an exciting part. Well, wouldn't it be exciting to play it in real life? Well, I got shot in the last act. I suppose that happens to most spies. Oh, but my dear Mrs. Turo, we would never dream of subjecting anybody as charming as you to danger. All you'd have to do would be to entertain a little. For instance, invite certain people to Oh, your I could home. see myself giving a great banquet in my one-room mansion. Of course, they took my lovely apartment away from me. I assure you that can be very easily remedied. Life could be made uh, very comfortable for you again, Mrs. Tura. Well, what do you say? 
Well, naturally, it's all very attractive and tempting. But what are we going to do about my conscience? Well, we've simply got to convince you that you're going to serve the right call. I wonder if you really know what Nazism stands for. I have a slight idea. In the final analysis, all we're trying to do is to create a happy world. And people who don't want to be happy have no place in this happy world. Well, that makes sense. We're not brutal. We're not monsters. Now tell me, do I look like a monster? Oh, of course not, Professor. <laughs> you say that as though you really meant it. I do. We're just like other people. We love to sing, we love to dance. We admire beautiful women. We're human. And sometimes very human. I'm convinced of that. Why don't you stay here for dinner? I can imagine nothing more charming. And before the evening is over, I'm sure you'll say, Heil Hitler. I would like to accept your invitation. But just as you want to represent the Nazi case in the very best light, I would like to represent the Polish case in a, in a more suitable dress. I understand perfectly. Please don't let me wait too long. Au revoir. Just a moment. I'm looking forward to it. So am I. This lady is permitted to leave. Yes, sir. This is a very difficult place to get in, but it's much more difficult to get out. Oh, I'm terribly frightened and terribly thrilled. Bye. In the meantime, Joseph catches Stanislav sleeping in his and Maria's apartment. Oh, I'm feeling much better. Well, I'm glad of that. Who are you? How did you get here? Parachute, I jumped from a plane. Oh, right into my bed, eh? How'd you get in my apartment? Well, your wife, uh, oh, isn't she back? I'm getting worried. You're worried? I'm worried. Shh, not so loud. You might endanger all of us. After all, we're all in the same boat. Oh, the same boat, eh? Well, then let me ask you something as one sailor to another. What ill wind blew you into my slippers? Selecki's here. What? At the Hotel Europa. Just when I came from the bookstore, they took me to him. What'd you do at the bookstore? I warned them against Selecki. Selecki here, then everything's over. Oh, there's still one little chance. Selecki hasn't seen the Gestapo, not until morning. We have to get to him, even get to blow up the hotel. Oh, that's impossible. It's like an arm camp. Soldiers everywhere. Why'd he send for you? Does he know I'm here? No, believe it or not, he wants me to become a Nazi spy. Who wants you to become a Nazi spy? Selecki. Who is Selecki? A spy. And who is he? Lieutenant Sobinski. Well, what are you doing here? Oh, what does it matter? Don't you understand? Selecki's here. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. I come home to find a man in the same boat with me, and my wife says to me, what does it matter? But, Mr. Tura, it's a zero hour. You certainly don't want me to waste a lot of time giving you a long explanation. No, but I think a husband is entitled to an inkling. All right. Selecki wants me to have dinner with him, and if we don't get any other idea, I hate to think of it, but maybe I'll have to kill him myself because I'm the only one that can get to him. You see, this all wouldn't have happened if the lieutenant had arrived before Selecki. But they sat a plane for Selecki, so Selecki arrived before the lieutenant. Now, is that clear? No. So you're going to have dinner with him. That's our only chance. Wait a minute. I'll decide with whom my wife is going to have dinner and whom she's going to kill. Don't you realize Poland's at stake? Have you no patriotism? Now, listen, you. First you walk out of my soliloquy and then you walk into my slippers. And now you question my patriotism. I'm a good Pole. I love my country and I love my slippers. Well, I hope your country comes first. Well, so do I. This is an emergency war. Look, look, look. I don't know much about the whole thing. But is this Selecki a real danger to Poland? A catastrophe. He must be taken care of. And he will be taken care of. Well, who's going to do it? I'm going to do it. But how? Where? I'm going to meet Herr Selecki at Gestapo headquarters. And after I've killed him, I hope you'll be kind enough to tell me what it was all about. Maria puts on an act to seduce Selitsky into thinking that she will be a Nazi spy. Because she's a terrific actress and very beautiful, Selitsky falls right into her hands because he's incredibly smitten with her. 
Solitsky is called away for a meeting with a Nazi commander, but Maria sees where Solitsky has his file stash in a giant suitcase in the bedroom. Prior to Solitsky leaving, Maria persuaded him to sign his name onto a piece of paper. This was under the guise that she could tell a lot about a person from their signature. Maria ended up using this signed piece of paper to type a note while he was gone, saying, My nerves are cracking. My life is no longer of use to the Fuhrer anymore. I am going to end it. Heil Hitler. She then placed the note under his pillow and leaves his quarters. While attempting to leave, she is stopped by a guard, saying that Solitsky didn't give instructions for anyone to leave. This means she must go back to his quarters and cannot leave. In the meantime, Solitsky goes to his meeting. What he doesn't realize is that the theater group has intercepted him and has a fake Gestapo headquarters where they all act the part of the Nazis. It is a little bit overacted, but that's part of the charm, and Joseph has the part as Colonel Earhart. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes. Heil Hitler. Heil Hitler. Heil Hitler. If you wait just one moment, I'll announce it, Colonel Earhart. Thank you very much. Goodbye, Colonel. <laughs> Heil Hitler. Heil Hitler. Why? Isn't this the gentleman from England, Captain Moon? Yes, General. It's a great pleasure to meet you, Professor. A very great pleasure. <laughs> well, you certainly fooled the English, didn't you? <laughs> the British lion will drink his tea from saucers made in Germany. Hi, <laughs> uh. <laughs> Hitler. Hi, Hitler. How did he ever become a general? Well, uh, he's Goring's brother-in-law. Oh. <laughs> I'll announce you to the colonel. Thank you. He brought the papers with him. Now remember, Hoover's helpers in England. As soon as you find out, call me and I'll do the rest. All right. Now look, Tora, you're playing for our lives. I know. Dobash, I'm going to do the impossible. I'm going to surpass myself. Don't, Tora. Take it easy and don't draw out the scene, please. Come on, let's go. I hate to leave the fate of my country in the hands of a ham. Send him in. Professor, please. Oh, thank you. Heil Hitler. Heil Hitler. Professor Selecki, I'm glad to see you. And I'm glad to see you, too, Colonel. <laughs> Sit down, please. Thank you very much. I can't tell you how delighted we are to have you here. And may I say, my dear Colonel, that it's good to breathe the air of the Gestapo again. <laughs> No, you're quite famous in London, Colonel. They call you Concentration Camp Earhart. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, we do the concentrating and the Poles do the camping. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, here's the report. And that's the end of the underground movement. Hmm. Let's see this. Excellent, excellent. They're as good as dead. I, uh, I assume there are no supplementary documents still at the hotel. No, no, that covers everything. Good, good. And I'm sending the duplicate on to Berlin the first thing in the morning. The, the duplicate? Oh, oh, yes, of course, of course, <laughs> the duplicate. You ask me, it's a lot of red tape, but since they want it, why, all right. <laughs> naturally, naturally. You know, Professor, uh, Warsaw is a dangerous place these days, but I suppose you have the papers in the hotel safe. No, they're locked in my trunk. The, the whole hotel is a safe. Yes, of course. <laughs> Naturally. I, I want to get the machinery started on this report right away. I'll be back in a moment. Very well. All right, I'll get this wrapped up. No, you can't. You still have 
has some papers in his trunk. What are you papers, papers in his trunk? trunk? I'll kill a dirty dog yeah, in the house. How are we going to get in his hotel? Yeah, how are we going to get in the hotel? Get back there. Keep him there. We'll try to figure something out. All right. <laughs> well, Colonel, is there anything else you want to ask me? Lots, lots. Sit down, Professor. Yes, there are many, many things I want to ask you. Yes, yes, yes. So many things. Well, anything you want to know, I'd only be too happy to oblige. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so they call me Concentration Camp Earhart. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, Professor, there's something I wanted to ask you. Yes? What? Oh. Oh. <laughs> well, that's the way it is. A thousand questions on your mind, yet you can't think of anything to ask. <laughs> but it will crystallize. It will crystallize. <laughs> Maybe there's something you'd like to ask me. No, no, I can't think of anything, Colonel. Oh. <laughs> so they call me Concentration Camp Earhart. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, well. Excuse me a minute, I'll be right back. I'm running out of dialogue. We got it. Here, take this gun. Put it in your pocket. Now you take him back to the hotel. All right. As soon as you're in his room, you hit him over the head with the butt of the gun. All right. Then you take his keys, open his trunk, and burn the papers. And then you shoot him. All right. Just a minute. What'll happen to me? They'll kill me. Well, we're going to keep our fingers crossed. Good. Hey, wait a minute. You go to the hotel and I'll cross my fingers. Here, think of something else. So they really call me Concentration Camp Earhart. <laughs> Colonel, unless there's something urgent, I'd like to relax a little. Relax? Oh, Mrs. Tura. Tell me, how is Mrs. Tura? Uh, sit down, Professor. You see, my Gestapo men are very, very efficient. Well, I simply thought she might be of some value to us as an agent. And besides that, she's very good company. Oh, very good company. Mm. <laughs> you know, Colonel, if you'd like to meet Mrs. Tura, I'd be only too glad to introduce you. Well, thank you. And if you should happen to take a liking to the lady, maybe you'll even put in a good word for me, eh? Why, I'd be delighted. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, tell me... Hasn't she a husband? Oh, yes, but what does it matter? Yes, what does it? Uh, by the way, I believe her husband is that great, great Polish actor, Joseph Tura. Of course, you've heard of him. No, I haven't. Oh. As a matter of fact, I never even heard of Maria Tura before, either. Oh, you didn't? Well, then, how did you happen to get in touch with her? <laughs> well, it's rather a delicate story. <laughs> you see, there's a young Polish flyer in England. I think his name is uh, Sobinski. Uh-huh. Ask me to deliver a message to her. Well, that's very interesting. Uh, what was the message? And I had to swear to this young Romeo not to tell the husband. That gives you a rough idea of the message. Yes, it is a little rough. Seems they have a secret love code. You, am I boring you? Colonel? No, no, no. I, I find it very interesting, very. Well, this young flyer gave me the message, and I couldn't make head or tail of it, and neither will you. But Mrs. Tourist seemed to understand it perfectly. Oh, well, uh, what... Was the message <laughs> to be or not to be? To be, to be or not to be? Well, Colonel, it's nothing alarming. It's only Shakespeare. That's what you think, Professor Selecki. You amaze me. You, an old Gestapo man, bringing a message to a Polish woman from the enemy. And when I say enemy, I mean enemy. Tell me, you think they had a romance together? Well, I couldn't swear to it, but I don't doubt it. Do you? No. And I'm going to find out if I have to mobilize the whole Gestapo. 
But, Colonel, I don't understand. Suppose these two did have a romance. That's nothing you have to worry about. The only person that has to worry is the husband, that's all. And that's enough. I'm going to arrest this Maria Tora. <laughs> I guess you're right, Professor. I've been with the Gestapo so long, I get suspicious of everyone. And so do I. <laughs> so they, they call me Concentration Camp Earhart. <laughs> Coming back to Mrs. Tura. Oh, let's forget about her. There's nothing mysterious about her. She's just a cheap little... I think I know what you mean. Then I don't have to say it, do I? Do you mind if I'm repetitious, Colonel Earhart? Why, no, no, not at all. I... As I said before, Colonel Earhart, the only one that has to worry about all this is the lady's husband, that great, great Polish actor, Joseph Turin. Well, that's none of my concern. But it should be, Mr. Turin. Raise your hands, quickly, please. Did you ever play a corpse, Mr. Turin? Why? Well, you're going to be one unless you do exactly as I say. Now, get over that door and tell your friends to clear away from there. I won't do it. Turn around. Get over there and face that wall. Now, stay there. You sure you won't change your mind? I'll give you one more chance. Very well, Mr. Tora. No! Oh! Long live Poland! So the theater group traps Solitsky inside the theater and Stanislav ends up shooting him dead on stage when they raise the curtain. In the meantime, Maria is still trapped in Solitsky's room at Nazi headquarters and the theater group decides to disguise Joseph as Solitsky in an attempt to get Maria out of danger. Professor Solitsky? Yes? Heil Hitler. Heil Hitler. I'm Captain Schultz of Colonel Earhart's staff. Well, I'm glad to meet you, Cap. Ah, Mrs. Tura. I thought you had left, madame. You forgot to leave word for me to get out, but now I don't regret that I've waited. And how is Professor Solitsky? Dead. Absolutely dead. You see, I, I had to take care of some business. How about a glass of champagne? No, thank you. I don't drink. Cigarette? Thank you. I don't smoke. <laughs> Just like our Führer. <laughs> yes. Well, Captain, I'm terribly sorry to have kept you waiting. Well, I tried to entertain the Captain, but he seems to be the suspicious type. <laughs> I admit I was a little surprised when I came in. And I don't blame you. Here, the whole Gestapo has been working for a long time, day and night, trying to find out every little thing about everybody. And I arrive, and in a few hours I find the most attractive lady in town. Oh, you didn't know Madame before? Oh, uh, well, well, no, not exactly. But the explanation is very simple. See, I just asked Mrs. Toure here to deliver a message to her. Isn't that right? Yes, yes. <laughs> you see, there's a young flyer, a very good friend of the Toure's, and particularly of Mrs. Toure. Isn't that right? Well, yes, but he's no particular friend of mine. Nevertheless, a friend. It, uh, it was a sort of a code message. Code message? Oh, Mrs. Toure has nothing to hide from the Gestapo, but she has one tiny little secret. <laughs> if her husband ever found out, he would murder her. 
Uh, by the way, he is that great, great Polish actor, Joseph Tura. You've probably heard of him. Uh, no, I haven't. Oh. Uh, Professor, uh, Colonel Earhart wants to know. Oh, yes, I'm going to meet him promptly, 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. There has been a change in the Colonel's plans. You're not going to take him away. I'm sorry, but the Colonel is expecting the Professor now. Those are my orders. Oh. Well, it looks like I'll have to go. Excuse me a moment. What did you do with Sabinski? Oh, that's all so unimportant now. Don't you realize you're going right into the hands of the Gestapo? Yes. The scene is loaded with dynamite. One little slip and I'm a dead man. Do you know I'm never any good unless I have my peace of mind? Maria, be honest. Be frank. I've got to know. Do you tell that fellow to walk out of my soliloquy? Oh, sweetheart, darling, I love you. Don't you know that? Don't you feel it? If anything should happen to you... You think I can do it? Of course, you're a great actor. Nobody can play it but you. You can and you will do it. Oh, sweetheart. Goodbye. If I shouldn't come back, I forgive you what happened between you and Sabinski. But if I come back, it's a different matter. I love that Joseph is always upset with Stanislav about walking out on his soliloquy. This is the brilliance of actually Jack Benny's comedic timing. He's he's more pissed about Maria's fascination with Stanislav than going up against the Nazis. And again, this is part of the dark humor of the film. It's actually way ahead of its time for this type of humor. Of course, now you have movies like Inglourious Bastards or Jojo Rabbit. It's totally accepted today. But you have to remember, this is 1942 when To Be or Not To Be came out. So Joseph masterfully bluffs his way as Selitsky to the real Colonel Earhart. Yes? Hi, Hi, man. Professor Selitsky's here. Have him come in. Didn't you understand what I told you? Did you arrest him? Why not? You have no proof? Well, that's a fine excuse. Arrest him, too. Whenever I end out, arrest him. How many times do I have to tell you arrest him? Heil Hitler! Heil Hitler. Heil Hitler. Well, Professor, last we meet. Please make yourself at home. Won't you take off your coat? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Colonel Earhart, I can't tell you how happy I am to breathe the air of the Gestapo again. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, cigarette, cigar, glass of brandy? Uh, no, no, thank you. There was a sudden change in my schedule. Confidentially big news. A very old friend of yours is coming to Warsaw, the Führer. I know you'll be delighted to see the Führer again. Who wouldn't? That's right, that's right. How long since you've seen him, Professor? Too long. Much too long. Of course, of course. Uh, tell me, is Berchtesgaden Garden really as beautiful as to say it is? Yes. I think I can say that without any risk. But it isn't the architecture or the landscaping. It's the presence of the Führer that lends the real beauty to the place. Naturally, naturally. <laughs> well, what news you bring from London? London? Oh, oh yes, London. Uh, Colonel, you're quite famous in London. You know what they call you? Concentration Camp Earhart. Oh, they do, do they? <laughs> so they call me Concentration Camp Earhart. <laughs> I, uh, I thought you would react just that way. <laughs> well, Professor, let's have your information. Uh, I think I could stand a glass of brandy after all. Certainly. 
brandy. <laughs> that makes me think of a very funny story which is going all over Warsaw. A story about our Führer. Now, how does it go? Oh, yes. They named a brandy after Napoleon. They made a herring out of Bismarck. And the Führer is going to end up as a piece of cheese. <laughs> Don't you think it's funny? No. Neither would the Führer. And I don't believe Adolf Hitler will go down in history as a delicatessen. Professor, look here. I was only joking, just repeating what I heard. After all, I never... Please don't misunderstand me. You see, I'm loyal. I wouldn't... Heil Hitler! Heil Hitler! Professor, do you by any chance intend to tell the Führer about this? Why should I ruin you? Oh, yes, of course. That's very nice. I can safely promise you the Führer will never hear it from my lips. My word of honor. Thank you. Thank you. Please, Professor, now, if you would be so kind, what about the underground movement? What exactly are your plans? Oh, you want to know? Huh? Yes, if you don't mind. Well, I, uh, I have the key in my hand. All I have to find is the lock. It's better than having the lock and having to find the key. How does it sound? Promising, most promising. Uh, but tell me, what exactly do you intend to do? Well, then, let's get down to details. Yes, if you please. There are no details. At least not yet. But the important thing is, I have the name of the leader of the whole underground movement. And if we play our cards right and carefully... I understand. If you watch the shepherd, you are bound to find the flock. What's the name of the shepherd? Bogoslav Ravonsky. Send Captain Schultz in. <laughs> so they call me concentration camp yard. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, come. Captain Schultz, there's a man in this town. What's his name? Ravansky. You mean Bogoslav Ravansky? Yes. Oh, you don't have to worry about him. What do you mean? We shot him two days ago. Ravansky shot? I refuse to believe. Do you realize whom you shot, Captain Schultz? I risked my life to get the key man of the underground movement, and just when we're ready, it's sabotage, sabotage, sabotage. I resent that, Professor. Why did you shoot him? We had definite proof that this man was telling some outrageous, supposed to be funny stories about the Fuhrer. There's no reason to shoot the man. I agree with you. At least not right away. So you shot Ravansky like that. Wouldn't have been a good idea to look him over first? Yes, why don't we look over people before we shoot them? I'm sorry, Colonel, but you signed the order of execution yourself. Oh, well, I sign so many every day. You see, I can't rely on my own people anymore. Please, Colonel, maybe we can still save the situation. There's one other man, a possibility, a good possibility. Maximilian Piotrowski. Maximilian Piotrowski? Don't tell me you... Yes. Well, Colonel, all I can say is you can't have your cake and shoot it, too. It can't be done. And if they hear about this in England, I'm sure they'll gladly give you the Victoria Cross. I'll resent that, Professor. That's all, Schultz. Yes, sir. I, uh, I didn't like the way Captain Schultz shifted the responsibility back to you. Neither did I. You know, there's always something wrong with a man who doesn't drink, doesn't smoke, doesn't eat meat. You mean our Fuhrer? Oh, no, no, please, Professor. I hope you won't. Why should I ruin you again? Thank you so much. Well, I suppose now you want to go back as soon as possible to London. London? Oh, oh yes, certainly, certainly. When did you plan to leave? Well, I'd like to get out of here as soon as possible. Under the circumstances, that's the best thing. We have a plane leaving on Thursday for Sweden. I'll make a reservation for you. That's fine. You better make that two reservations. Two? See, my trip was at least successful in one respect. I made a discovery. A certain Mrs. Tura. She'll be the most valuable assistant in London I've ever had. Frankly, I don't believe in women agents. But you'll change your mind if you meet Mrs. Tura. Why don't you? Form your own opinion. 
If you say no, it's no. All right, I call you at the hotel. What was the lady's name? Uh, Mrs. Tura. Her husband is that great, great Polish actor, Joseph Tura. You've probably heard of him. Oh, yes. As a matter of fact, I saw him on the stage when I was in Warsaw once before the war. Really? <laughs> what he did to Shakespeare, we are doing now to Poland. Hmm. Goodbye, Colonel. Goodbye, Professor. Again, I love the ongoing gag with Joseph always asking about his acting chops, only to get cold water thrown at his ego at every attempt. So the next day, Maria is summoned to meet with Earhart, only to be informed that Selitsky was killed after his body was found at the theater. They suspect that a British agent landed in Warsaw a few days earlier. Unfortunately for Joseph, he doesn't realize that the Nazis found the real body of Selitsky, and he attempts to arrange another meeting with the Nazis posing as Selitsky. And this is where the suspense gets really good for the rest of the film, so I can't give anything away. Again, the movie was way ahead of its time when it came to dark humor, and considering that the film was released again in the middle of World War II, it's even more startling. At the time, some critics and filmgoers thought the film was a bit distasteful given the timing of the film. However, as more time passed, it's viewed as a classic, and I really, I highly recommend watching this film, especially if you're a World War II history person. And I will say that the ending is priceless, but again, watch the movie for yourself. All right, some fun facts. Ernest Lubitsch has never cons- never considered anyone other than Jack Benny for the lead role for this film. He had even written the character with Jack Benny in mind. Miriam Hopkins was the original choice for Maria Tura, but she turned down the role when she realized Jack Benny had all the laughs and that her part would largely be as the straight man. Carol Lombard saw the overall quality of the material and took the part. So because Carol Lombard died in a plane crash while the movie was in post-production, the filmmakers decided to cut out the line that had her character ask, what can happen in a plane? When Jack Benny's father went to see this movie, he was outraged at the sight of his son in a Nazi uniform in the first scene and even stormed out of the theater. Jack convinced his father that it was satire, and he agreed to sit through it all. After the shooting of the film was finished, Carol Lombard told many people that this film was the happiest experience of her career from start to finish. Jack Benny had his insecurities for taking on a lead role in the movie, and Lubitsch was quoted as saying to Benny in his German accent, You think you're a comedian? You're not even a clown. You are fooling the public for 30 years. You are even fooling yourself. A clown. He is a performer what is doing funny things. A comedian. He is a performer what is saying funny things. But you, Jack, you are an actor. You are an actor playing the part of a comedian, and this you are doing very well. But do not worry, I keep your secret to myself. Mary Livingston, who is married to Jack Benny, reported in her book that Jack could not attend a preview screening scheduled for the release of the movie on the Monday following Carol Lombard's death because he was so distraught by her death. And she also indicated that the preview audience gasped when Jack and Carol's name appeared in the opening credits and then clapped and cheered every time she appeared on screen. As I had mentioned earlier, Jack Benny was one of the best uh, comedians of the time. And to prove that, I will play one of his classic radio shows. And one of my favorite things that he used to do was every Christmas he would have a, a show where he'd go shopping and he'd always run into a few of his regulars. One being Frank Nelson, who played the floor walker. And you, of course, you'll remember him in many things. And he always went, yes. And then the great Mel Blanc, who, of course, did all of the Looney Tunes characters' voices, he also appears here, and he always plays the stressed-out clerk that Jack Penny just tortures every shopping season. So this show is from December 5th of 1954. I think you'll really enjoy it. And I will be back next week for yet another random movie from my DVD collection. The Jack Benny Program. 
transcribed and presented by Lucky Strike, the cigarette that's toasted to taste better. If you want better taste from your cigarette, Lucky Strike is the brand to get. It's toasted to give you the best taste, yet it's the toasted cigarette. This is Don Wilson. The song you just heard has an important message for everyone who smokes. The sure way to get better taste from your cigarette is to make sure you get Lucky Strike. It's toasted to taste better. Of course, the better taste of a Lucky begins with fine tobacco. And then, that fine tobacco is toasted. It's toasted. The famous Lucky Strike process tones up this naturally mild, good-tasting tobacco to make it taste even better, cleaner, fresher, smoother. Yes, a Lucky tastes better because it's the cigarette of fine tobacco and it's toasted to taste better. So, be happy. Go lucky. The Lucky Strike program starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Rochester, Dennis Day, Bob Crosby, and yours truly, Don Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the middle of the Christmas shopping season, and as usual, Jack is going to his favorite department store to purchase gifts for his gang. But before we go Christmas shopping, I'd like to take you to a modest little home in the suburbs of Los Angeles. The home belongs to a department store salesman and his wife. It's five o'clock in the morning. have it this time of year, Beatrice. Uh, about that blue-eyed old man that comes to the store for his Christmas shopping? <laughs> yeah. Only this dream was worse. I looked at his hands, and instead of fingers, he had shoelaces. <laughs> on one hand, the fingernails were plastic tips, and on the other hand was metal tips. Why do I always have to dream about him? Now, Mel, control yourself. Maybe he won't come into the store this year. Oh, he'll come, he'll come. He's been coming in and driving me nuts for over 15 years. Well, don't worry about it. Maybe he's mellowed. Maybe he'll be kinder now that he's getting old. He was old 15 years ago. <laughs> You go to the store, and during my lunch hour, I'll come down to your department, and if you've had any trouble, I'll relieve you. Anyway, there's very little chance of seeing him now that you're in the art department. Yeah, I guess that's right, Beatrice. He don't look like the kind of guy who would go in for painting. He, he ain't the artistic type. Mr. Benny, you've still got quite a few more names on your Christmas list. Yeah, I still have to get something from my producer and Miss Livingston now, so you can do your personal shopping. Thank you. And will it be all right if I charge my things to your account? Charge it? 
What happened to the Christmas bonus I gave you? I lost it. Lost your bonus? Gambling? Oh, no. I had a hole in my pocket and it rolled down a sewer. <laughs> now, wait a minute, Rod. Stop making up jokes. I gave you a $25 check for a Christmas bonus. I know, Mr. Benny, but I can't cash that check until after next Monday. Why not? Me and the check are appearing on You Asked For It. <laughs> oh, yes. We'll show them. I'll meet you here later, Rochester. Okay. Gee, I still haven't gotten anything from Mary. I know what I'll do. I'll buy her a negligee. Now, where's the negligee department? Oh, that must be the floor walker over there, that man in striped trousers and the cutaway coat. Oh, mister. Mister. Yeah! <laughs> Are you the floor walker? No, I'm a pallbearer, but my handle broke. <laughs> Look, I didn't come here for corny conversation. All I want to know is where I can buy a negligee. On the third floor, but I don't think they have anything in your size. <laughs> don't be so smart. It's not for me. Oh, for your wife? No, I'm not married. You don't tell me you got to look that way all by yourself. <laughs> that out. Anyway, I don't need you. I'll find it. And the store is so crowded, I don't think I'll ever finish them. Hey, it looks like my orchestra arranger, Malin Mary. Hi, Malin. Oh, hello, Jack. Doing your Christmas shopping, eh? Yes, um, I'm getting some gifts for the boys in the band. Gee, it's a nuisance, isn't it, trying to get... Oh, yeah, bud. Long time no see. Huh? Oh, oh, hello, hello. So long, bud. See you around. Yeah, yeah. Goodbye. Jack. Jack, who is that fellow? Oh, he's a racetrack tout. He's always trying to talk me out of everything. I gotta finish my shopping. So long, Malin. Oh, uh, just a minute, Jack. Yes? I'm having a big party on New Year's Eve. I know, I know. You've already invited me. Yes. And I thought that since you've given so many parties, you could help me out a bit. You see, I've already hired a caterer, and I thought you might recommend a good bartender. Well, now, that's the silliest thing, Mail. spending good money on a bartender. Why don't you get one of the boys in your band? I mean, get Frank Remley. Nobody knows more about drinks than he does. No, I wouldn't try that again, Jack. He was the bartender at the last party I gave. Well, what happened? Well, the first guest to arrive walked up and ordered a scotch and soda. Uh-huh. Remley bent down, got the scotch, never came up again. <laughs> No kidding. Well, thanks for inviting me anyway. I'll see you New Year's. Man. Good. I'll be there. And Jack, if you run into Don Wilson, see if you can persuade him to come to the party, too. Persuade Don Wilson? Yes. He never wants to go anywhere since he's taking up painting as a hobby. Painting as a hobby? Say, I'm glad you mentioned that, Malin. I was worried what to get Don for Don. You know, last year I got him a box of dates with nuts in them and everything. Now I'll get him some paints. I'm going to the art department. I'll see you later. <laughs> hey, sure have everything for the, the artist here. Where's the salesman? Oh, there he is. Oh, clerk. Clerk. Uh, yes, sir. What can I... <laughs> it's you again. Huh? How do you find me every year? You got radar or something? <laughs> what are you talking about? 
Gee, he doesn't recognize me. Maybe everything's going to be okay. What are you mumbling about, Clerk? Oh, oh, nothing, nothing. Uh, What can I do for you, sir? Well, a friend of mine has taken up painting as a hobby, and I'd like to get him a nice set of paints. Oh, oh, very good, sir. Now, now, here's a set that's very popular and reasonable, too. It's only $9.95. Well, gee, those tubes of paint seem very small. Well, that's right, sir, but they're the best paints, and in addition to the primary colors, it also contains such exotic colors as vermilion, chartreuse, turquoise, cerise, heliotrope, citron, pipofuchsia, cardinal red, bright orange, midnight blue, and shocking pink. Yeah, it has a lot. See, that's a beautiful color right there. That's the most beautiful color I've ever seen. What do you call it? Money green. Well, I'll take it. Now, I'd like it gift wrapped. Uh, yes, sir. I'll be back in a second with it. Gee, he didn't even recognize me. And he didn't give me the, the least bit of trouble. In fact, he was real sweet. Oh, boy, I'm lucky. Oh, I'll say I'm lucky. This is my lucky day. There. There, that looks pretty. Well, here you are, sir. That'll be ten and a quarter, including tax. Ten and a quarter? Yeah, it seems like a lot to pay for just a few paints. Huh? Well, not when you consider what you're getting. Most people don't mind paying the extra money for oil paints. They last so much longer than the watercolors. Oh. <laughs> you have watercolors, too? <laughs> Me and my big stupid mouth. I had to tell him, yeah. I couldn't let well enough alone. I had to tell him. Clerk, how much is the watercolor set? Three ninety-five, but you're—they're not near as nice as these are. I don't care. I want to see the watercolor set. Okay, okay. I'll have to climb this ladder to get it. It's on the top shelf. I had to tell him. Had to tell him. Wish I could paint red spots on my face so he'd think I had smallpox and he'd go away. <laughs> I wish I had smallpox. I <laughs> uh, wouldn't do any good. This, this guy's lived so long, he must be immune to everything. <laughs> but it's my own fault. Here's the watercolor set, mister. Look at it, look at it. Say, that, this looks okay. But it's only got five colors, gray, blue, black, red, and 30 brown. <laughs> I don't care. It's three ninety-five, and I'll take it. Now gift wrap it, and I'll be back. I know you will. I know you will. <laughs> now let's see. What else do I have to get? Gee, I still haven't gone to the lingerie department for Mary's gift. Yes. What can I do for you, young man? I'd like to buy a Christmas gift for my mother. Well, a negligee is always a very suitable gift. Now here's a lovely one that I'm sure would please your mother. No, she wouldn't like that one. She never wears anything with a low neckline. Oh, is she modest? No, she's tattooed. (laughs) Well, here's something that might suit your mother more. Gee, that looks nice. Only I'd like it in a brighter color. You see, my father is always depressed, and bright colors cheer him up. Well, we have a large selection of colors. Uh, But tell me, what size does your mother wear? Well, gee, I don't know, but... She's about as tall as you are. Oh, does she have my build? If she did, my father wouldn't need cheering up. (laughs) Well, now, how does this one seem? Oh, uh, that looks about the right size. 
I think she'll like it very much. Will you wrap it up and charge it, please? Yes, sir. Now, who shall I charge this to? To me. My name is Dennis Day. Dennis Day? Uh-huh. The singer? Yes, ma'am. Oh, gee, Mr. Day. I'm one of your most ardent fans. I buy all your records and everything. Why, when I hear you sing, I just quiver and shake all over. Three coins in the fountain. <laughs> There they lie in the fountain. Which one Mr. will Day, the fountain... Mr. Day, Mr. Huh? Day. I'm not joking. No, I'm really a great admirer of yours. Oh, thanks. Thanks a lot. Dennis. Oh, Dennis. Huh? Oh, hello, Mr. Benny. Yeah, I heard you singing. I, I was way in the other side of the store, but I thought it was a record. Maybe that's because I've got a hole in my head. <laughs> well, i got to run along, Mr. Benny. I still have lots of shopping to do. Same here. So long, kid. Oh, miss. Miss. Yes, sir? I'd like to get a gift for a girlfriend. Well, just a moment, sir. That man at the end of the counter was here first. Well, that's quite all right. Jingle bells. Oh, there you are, Mr. Benny. Yeah, Roger. Did you finish your shopping? Uh-huh. I even got a present for you. Oh, that's nice. What is it? Oh, now, wait till Christmas. Oh, come on. Tell me, Rochester. You know I hate waiting. Is it something I can wear? Uh-huh. Is it something I'd wear above the waist? Uh-huh. A shirt? Nope. Hmm. Is it something I wear above the shoulders? Uh-huh. I've got it. It's a hat. No, but it's right under it. <laughs> well, that's a strange gift to give me. Why should you get me that? Well, I ruined one of your good ones. I threw it in the Bendix and all the curls came out of it. <laughs> Well, don't throw it away. Save it in case I ever get the part of an Indian in a picture. <laughs> okay. Are you done with your shopping, Mr. Benny? Not quite, but you know, I always have trouble getting something for Don Wilson, and this time I think I got him a gift he'll like. A set of paints. Oh, he should like that, boss. Whenever he sees me, he talks to me about painting. He's really crazy about that hobby. I know, and I got him a lovely set of watercolors. Watercolors? Oh, he's way beyond that. For the past few months, he's been painting with nothing but oils. <laughs> oils? Are you sure? I'm positive. So Don only uses oil paints. Excuse me, Rochester. I'll see you later. There's no sun up in the sky, stormy weather. Oh, clerk, clerk. Oh, it's you again. Here's your watercolors, all gift wrapped and everything. Well, I've uh, changed my mind. I want the oils. <laughs> no, no, no. This, this can't be happening to me. I, I lead a good life. I, I'm kind to my mother. <laughs> can't be happening. You just can't. Look, look, control yourself. <laughs> okay. Okay, uh, uh, I'm getting calmer. Uh, I'll control myself. <laughs> good, good. Only, mister, do, do me a favor and tell me something, will you? Certainly. What business are you in? I'm a comedian. Well, what's funny about this? <laughs> Look, I... 
don't know what you're talking about. I'm not trying to be funny. I just made a simple request. I want the watercolors changed to oils. Now, please gift wrap them, and I'll be back to pick them up later. Let's see. I've got to get Mary's gift, and then... Oh, darn it, I'm out of cigarettes. I wonder where I can get some. Oh, there's a cigarette machine at the end of the aisle. <laughs> there it is. See what a fancy cigarette machine. Let's see. I ought to have some change. Hey, Bun. <laughs> Bun. Huh? Come here a minute. Who, me? Yeah, yeah. What are you doing? I'm getting a package of cigarettes. What kind? Lucky Strikes. Oh, Lucky Strike, eh? Smart boy. Huh? You're putting your dough on the favorite. I know, I know. And it's a great bet across the board. Win place and show? No, cleaner, fresher, smoother. And another thing. What? Come here a minute. Huh? Look at the breeding. The breeding? It's by sold American out of Goldsboro, North Carolina. <laughs> well, thanks, thanks very much. You going to get a pack of luckies? Am I going to get a pack of luckies? Yeah. Come here a minute. <laughs> Huh? I'm going to get two packs. <laughs> two? I'm trying for the daily double. <laughs> Smart boy. So long and Merry Christmas. Same to you. Same to you. <laughs> Better taste in your cigarette. Lucky Strike is the brand to get. It's toasted to see. Yeah, I got the cigarettes. Now I've got to go. Hello, Mr. Benny. Why, Mr. Kitzel. Well, look who's here, Mr. Kitzel. Hey, I. How, how you come along with your Christmas shopping? Practically finished. Did you buy some nice presents? Wonderful, especially for my magnificent mother-in-law. Oh, your mother-in-law? Yeah, this year I'm giving to my mother-in-law such a gift. I'm proud I thought of it. A trip to Hawaii. <laughs> Why, Mr. Kissel, what a wonderful thing to give a mother-in-law. A round trip to Hawaii. Who said anything about a round trip? <laughs> Oh, 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 I... Well, I better run along. Goodbye, Mr. Benny. Okay, well, Merry Christmas, Mr. Kitzel. Happy you tie to you. <laughs> Here you are, sir. And I assure you, it's a lovely gift. Well, thank you. And I hope you have a wonderful Christmas. And do come back again. I don't even know if I'm going to leave. <laughs> you know, you're one of the most attractive salesmen. Uh, miss, can you please? Oh, hello, Don. Well, hi, Jack. Hey, hey, I'll bet I know something you don't know. What's that? I ran into Bagby, the piano player, and now I know what the boys in the band are going to give you for Christmas. What, what, what? Beautiful set of golf clubs. 
Oh, isn't that wonderful? I can use a new set. I can hardly wait till Christmas. Well, you may even get them before Christmas if the paint dries. Paint? What paint? Where they scratched off the owner's name. (laughs) Well, they should have left the name on. I'd know who not to play with. What characters they are. By the way, Don, how's your wife? Oh, she's fine now. Now? Yeah, just a few weeks ago, she broke out in hives, and her eyes were always watering, and the doctors didn't know what it was until they found out she had an allergy. Gosh, what was she allergic to? The oil in oil paints. No. Yeah, so now I'm going to have to go back to watercolors. You use only watercolors now, Don? That's right. Excuse me, Don. I've got to go somewhere. Now, Melville, control yourself. I can't. I can't control myself, Beatrice. I'm... I, I, I'm going to quit. Now, I, I, now, Mel, it can't be that bad. Can't be that bad. Look, in the first place, how he finds me, I'll never know. But first he buys oil paints. Then he changes them to watercolors. Then back to oils. Then watercolors. Then oils. He keeps coming back like a boomerang. <laughs> me, I, I'm going to the office right now and quit. Now, now, I, now look, look, Mel, uh, I'll tell you what to do. You go and take a nice long lunch hour and lie down, and I'll take your place at the counter. Well... Okay. Okay. When he comes, that's his package of oil paints right there. Right. I'll see you later. <laughs> Poor Mel. Gets upset so easily. I can't let him quit now. It'll ruin all our plans. We worked in the store together so long. We met in the store. He even proposed to me in the store. And now we're married. <laughs> Excuse me. Excuse oh, me, miss. Yeah, yes, sir. What can I do for you? Well, uh, where's the clerk who's usually here? Well, he's gone to lunch, but perhaps I can help you. Well, I'm supposed to have a package of oil paints ready for me. Yes, sir. Uh... Wait a minute. This must be the man who's been driving Mel crazy. Yet it can't be. This guy couldn't bother anybody. He's such a kindly-looking old schnook. Uh, here you are, sir. A package of gift-wrapped oil paints. Ten twenty-five, sir. Look, miss, I-, I changed my mind. I'd like to get a box of watercolors instead. But, sir, you... All right, I'll gift-wrap the watercolors. <laughs> the customer's always right. I'll get some watercolors and wrap them, and I'll be right back. See, while she's gone, I'd better write out a card for Don. Let's see, I want it to be something clever. Oh, I've got it. To Don Wilson. Here's lots of colors for portraits to paint. But don't paint yourself, because that much there ain't. (laughs) (laughs) Say, that's cute. People say I need writers. (laughs) Sign of Jack Benny. Oh, miss, miss. Watercolors. <laughs> Isn't that a pretty package? Yes, it is. Now, will you please unwrap it and put this card inside? <laughs> unwrap it? 
hard inside? Mister, I went to a lot of trouble unwrapping the other one and gift wrapping this one. Have a little consideration, will you? Don't be so mean and so selfish. Well, how did... You're just as bad as that idiot clerk who went to lunch. <laughs> idiot! Listen, you jerk, you're talking about my Melville. I don't care who I'm talking about. Now, unwrap that package and put the card inside. Oh, no, not me. I know all about you. Melville warned Look, me. Look, miss. First you wanted oil paints, then watercolors, then oil paints, then dates with nuts, and then plain dates. Dates? Then plastic chips, then metal chips, then plastic chips, then metal dates, then water chips. Then dates with oil, then plastic water, then shoelaces with nuts. Look, miss. Oh, I'm wise to you. You drove my husband crazy, but you're not going to do it to me. (laughs) Oh, for heaven's sake, I'll just send Don a card this year. Just before Jack comes back again, here's a word for anyone who enjoys a good cigarette. If you want better taste from your cigarette, Lucky Strike is the brand to get. It's toasted to give you the best taste, yet it's the toasted, toasted cigarette. They take fine tobacco, it's light tobacco, it's mild tobacco too, and it's toasted, yes it's toasted. Cause the toasting brings the flavor right through So to get a better taste from your cigarette Lucky Strike is the brand to get It's toasted to give you the best taste Yet it's the toasted, toasted cigarette All you have to do is look at a pack of Lucky's friends and you'll see the reasons for Lucky's better taste printed right on it. L-S-M-F-T. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. Light, naturally mild, good-tasting tobacco. And it's toasted. It's toasted is the famous Lucky Strike process that tones up Lucky's fine tobacco, bringing it to its peak of flavor, making it taste even better, cleaner, fresher, smoother. So be happy, go lucky, and say, a wonderful way to say Merry Christmas to your friends is to give them Lucky's in the beautiful Christmas cartons. These special Lucky cartons are handsomely decorated in keeping with the gay spirit of the Yuletide season. They're so nice to give... So wonderful to get. This Christmas, give Lucky Strike in Christmas gift cartons. Well, boss, have you got everything? Yes, I have. Say, that's sure a pretty package. It looks so Christmassy with all that red paper. That's not red paper, that's blood. (laughs) Blood? I never thought she'd punch me in the nose. Good night, folks. The Jack Benny program is written by Sam Perrin, Milt Josephsberg, George Balzer, John Tackerberry, Al Gordon, Hal Goldman, and produced and transcribed by Hilliard Marks. Filter smokers, true tobacco taste, real filtration, famous Tariton quality. They're all yours when you smoke filter tip Tariton. Filter tip Tariton gives you all the full, rich taste of Tariton's quality tobacco and real filtration, too. Because filter tip Tariton incorporates activated charcoal, renowned for its unusual powers of selective filtration. Look for the red, white, and blue stripes on the package. They identify filter tip Tariton, the best in filtered smoking.
The Jack Benny program is brought to you by the American Tobacco Company, America's leading manufacturer of cigarettes. This is Brian Davis, and you might know me from the Damn Good Movie Memories podcast. And now, get ready for the Bad Beat Show on ThatMetalStation.com from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern every Wednesday night. I'm going to play some kick-ass hard rock inspired by the blues, because after all, the foundation of all things rock and metal is, of course, the blues. So join me every Wednesday night for the Bad Beat, because even when you lose, you still win. We are officially on Spotify now, so if you don't use iTunes, if you don't use the Podbean app, you can go to Spotify and get all of our past episodes. You can stream it on there, so if you're a Spotify user, you can go find Damn Good Movie (laughs) I can't even say my own podcast. Damn Good Movie Memories. Yes, I know what I'm talking about. I'm the host, right? Okay, so go to Spotify, look for Damn Good Movie Memories. You can stream all of that stuff. And yeah, so if you don't want to use iTunes, you don't want to use Podbean, you can use Spotify as well. All right, before we sign off, we do have t-shirts are available for sale. All you have to do is go to tpublic, that's T-E-E-P-U-B-L-I-C.com, and you can get your very own Damn Good Movie Memories t-shirt. You can get all sizes, any gender, you can get whatever you want just at the tip of your fingers. So just go to tpublic.com, look up Damn Good Movie Memories, and you can get your very own t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast and are an iTunes user, please do the show a favor and head on over to the official iTunes page for Damn Good Movie Memories. Be sure to leave a rating and a review. This will allow the show to appear higher in the algorithm and spread the joy of this podcast to the masses. If you are not an iTunes user, you can still listen and subscribe on Podbean at damngoodmoviememories.podbean.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook under our Damn Good Movie Memories page. You can also listen to a limited number of episodes on YouTube. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and be sure to tune in next week for an all new episode of Damn Good Movie Memories. I am Dr. Fuck. And I'm the actual alcoholic. And we are part of the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. We are the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. That's right. The way you can check us out is we are on iTunes and also Podbean. And we forgot a review recently. I got this review right here. It says right here, it says, Rock and Metal Combat Podcast is the greatest podcast in the world. And it's my number one podcast signed by Science. Now, and then Science also says... Science! Science also said... My second favorite podcast is It Doesn't Matter, The Rest Suck. Rock and Metal Combat Podcast on iTunes and Poppy. Check it out. Science! 
Are you ready for the hottest new podcast out there? Check out the Vieira Vault, featuring none other than Dr. Fuck Ralph Vieira. You will hear personal stories and personal songs from the vault. There ain't nothing else like it. The one, the only, the original Vieira Vault on Podbean, Stitcher.com, and iTunes. Spreaker. God damn it. Hey, this is Stephen Michael from the Growing Up Rock Podcast. If you're like me and my co-host, Sonny Hollywood Pooney, you grew up loving hard rock and metal music. Check out our podcast where we talk to bands and artists that help create the soundtrack to our lives, along with playing some killer new and old deep tracks of kick-ass guitar-driven rock and roll. Find us wherever you find your podcast to listen to, That's the Growing Up Rock Podcast, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K. And feel free to hit us up at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Growing Up Rock. So sit back and crank it up.